If you have a Bible, why don't you open to John 19, please. John 19, verse 25 to 27 is our text. And the message is entitled, Affectionate Love of the Son. The words of Jesus, of our Lord and Savior, as he hung on the cross, are not normal words. The words that these servants uh, uh, and soldiers heard were not common words from someone who's crucified. Um, rather than crying out for vengeance or um, um, cursing his enemies who had condemned and treated him, him horribly, uh, rather than seeing himself as the one needing help to be rescued, he, um, he saw man as the one needing help to be rescued. And yet he's the one that seemingly is dying on the cross. As you know, the first saying from the cross, Jesus prayed for the forgiveness of his enemies because they did not know what they were doing, he said in Luke 23, 24. That's kind of strange from someone who's dying. When the centurions heard that, I'm sure they looked up. Never heard that before. In the second saying from the cross, Jesus assured the um, thief that um, he would be with him that very day in paradise because he called upon his name and believed who he was. That again must have shook the centurions and soldiers for you're dying. How, how can you promise this man anything? You're not going anywhere. From the natural perspective, this sounds too Weird, different. Now his third saying, Jesus regards the saint as he entrusts his mother Mary to the care of John, the apostle here in um, verses 25 through 27. Let me read our text here. Verse 25 says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own house. Here in the third saying, Jesus regards the saint, as he entrusts his mother to her, and it consists of three things that we have here. First, we see the personal witness of the four, the personal love here. The four and John, four women, verse 25 and the beginning of 26. Secondly, we have the proclamation of love to Mary, as he says, woman, behold your son. And thirdly, you have the proclamation of faithful love to John, behold your mother. Remember, he's dying. He's up on the cross. He's been there for hours already. And so he begins here with the personal witness of love, the four women here and one man, John, and there is um, Mary, the mother of our Lord, mentioned here first, beginning of verse 25 and 26. And she was um, 
a very humble young woman, as you know, uh, who had received a visit from the angel Gabriel. And um, she, her response to God was, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word in Luke 138. 14 to 16, 17, push it a little bit, somewhere there. Quite an amazing statement by this young woman. She was um, the one who acknowledged and knowingly yielded her will to God, being exposed to really the penalty of being stoned to death, or at least to be um, smeared and slandered for the rest of her life, even as Matthew 1, 18 and 19 confirms for us. Because you know how people are, because you know you. We know each other. She was the one who trusted God to speak to Joseph's heart. This was a difficult thing in Matthew 1.20. She didn't go tell Joseph, but even if you did, can you imagine you're engaged to a young woman and then she comes to you and says, you know, Don, I got to tell you something and you're going to find hard to believe it, but you know, um, I'm a virgin, but I'm pregnant. Right. Very difficult. But this woman of such maturity is so young that she allowed God to deal with the whole issue. And as you know, Joseph was visited. And once God dealt with his heart, he yielded. Now, sometimes we read these records and we think that they are compulsory things that God did through them, forcing them. No. Every one of these actors, people that are in the Bible... They yielded to God. God forces no one to do anything. He doesn't force people to do good or to do evil. That's why God can judge you for the evil you do and reward you for the good that you do. Because you are the one that makes the choice. She was a woman who did not um, compromise with the will of God at such a young age. She must have some godly, godly parents. And then again, you know, some godly parents have children of the devil. And then there are some parents that are parents of the devil, and they have godly children, right? Because it's an individual choice, but having a godly home surely helps. Now notice, there was also the Lord's mother's sister. In verse 25 there, she was the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Jesus called them the... Uh, sons of thunder in Matthew twenty seven fifty six. They were hotheads. Part of the dirty dozen. She was called Salome by Mark, Mark fifteen forty, and she's the one who um, who was rebuked by our Lord in Matthew twenty, verse twenty through twenty two, because she came with her sons to ask Jesus as they're going to Jerusalem, because everybody thinks he's going to come off to knock off Rome and set up the kingdom. And so she comes saying, listen, Lord, can you have my son, this one on the right hand, this one on the left hand, in your glory when they get there? And, and Jesus says no to the two and to her. Interesting that um, at this point, as she is at the foot of the cross, she must have looked up and had to think it through and had to have been so thankful that Jesus did not give her her request because if jesus would have said all right you know he's going to be on my right and he's going to be on my left then as she's looking up to jesus she would have been seeing her sons one crucified on this cross that one on that one 
And you can hear them going to Jesus. Well, Jesus, what is Jesus saying? What did you guys have in mind? You see, none of the dirty dozen were servants. They wanted to be served. It was after the day of Pentecost. As God filled them with the Spirit, and they walked in the Spirit, and they realized what it was to be a servant. Notice in 25 there was Mary, the wife of Clopas, also nothing is known of her except that her husband was one of the two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24:18, which Jesus appeared to. She was a believer who loved the Lord, and she was sympathetic and compassionate as a friend to comfort the Lord's mother in her time of suffering. There's always people that are like that, and they're such a blessing and a value to the body of Christ as well as to our friendships. It seems that sometimes people think that they always have to say something at difficult times or tragic times, and sometimes the best thing we can do is just to be there. And don't say a word. Great strength, great comfort to be there with people. Notice still in 25, there's also Mary Magdalene, and she had been delivered of seven demons by the Lord Jesus Christ and received a brand new life with purpose and meaning. Luke 8, 2 tells us that about her. Uh, she's not to be confused with the prostitute who came to Jesus at the house of Simon in Luke seven thirty six and 50. The Catholic Church always portrays her as a prostitute. She was not. Demons were cast out of her. She was one of the women from Galilee, who, by the way, provided for the Lord's ministry financially, as did Jonah, the wife of Chusa, Harris Stewart, and Susanna, and many other women from Jerusalem. And we get this record in Luke 8, 2-3, and in Mark chapter 15, verse 41. Incredible women committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. She's the only one mentioned by John as coming to the sepulcher, by the way, early in the morning, though the other two synoptic gospel mentions the other Mary, the mother of James, there in Matthew 28, 1, Mark 16, 1, and John 20, verse 1. And so it's important as you put the Gospels together, you see that they supplement, they complement one another so you get a full picture of what's going on, but they never contradict each other. She was a grateful woman who had been delivered from the power of Satan and experiencing the power of his loving touch, bringing peace to her life just as it has been to your life. What a difference Jesus has made. Now you stop and think of the sacrifice of the father regarding the son I, being a father, to sacrifice my son, I can't even imagine that. And yet that's exactly what the father did in sending his son. Now you have John in verse 26. He was one of the 12 disciples and apostles, as you know. He's the one who leaned on the breast of Jesus at the Passover meal, John 13, 23. 25 and chapter 21 verse 20 tells us that and it's repeated intentionally by the direction of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit John wasn't bragging this was God's record he's the one who Peter and others began to spread a rumor about 
saying that John was never going to die until the return of the Lord in John 21, 22 through 23. So in this inspiration of Scripture, which is infallible and inerrant, God allows the humanity and humanness of every individual to be seen. Here's the disciples, the dirty dozen, and they start saying that John's never going to die, and Jesus didn't say anything like that. And he allows that to be recorded. He used fallible instruments, normal people. He is the one who received the revelation, the island of Patmos, after being boiled in oil, tradition tells us, and of course he survived. Revelation 119, that's his very own testimony that he was put there under persecution and tribulation for the name of Jesus Christ. He is the one whom the Lord loved. This is the way John identifies himself repeatedly in his own gospel by God's direction. And uh, whenever we see in the record Peter, James, and John, the three inner circle, in our minds often we think of God having a favorite group or loving some more than others, but nothing could be further from the truth. He just knows who he wants to use in what ways and how he enables them and equips them, and he puts them effectively in that position. It has nothing to do with favoritism. It has everything to do with knowing everything and being wise altogether. Now, the presence of the women and John are in sharp contrast as you read all this passage to the soldiers at the cross. As you look at verses 23 and 24, you get this very clear contrast. The soldiers were there by duty. The soldiers were there only interested in gambling for the Lord's possessions. They were hard soldiers. They saw crucifixions all the time. They saw men in agony. The soldiers were only there to witness the death of a condemned criminal, according to them. These men had been judged and sentenced and condemned by Rome. And yet, the women and John were there out of love. They were there only interested in the person of Jesus Christ. The women and John were there to witness an innocent man condemned to death. The death of Jesus Christ was the most unjust thing that has ever happened on this earth where he had no sin. He became sin for you and I that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wow. You see, as they're there at the cross, they would have identified them with the criminal. Just as when you visited someone in prison in those days, you were identified with the criminal. That puts you at risk. The personal witness of the four women in John was a witness of their love. They're there. Notice, secondly, we have the proclamation of love to Mary now. Woman, behold your son. The title of woman is not a disrespectful thing, but um, just the opposite. It shows uh, respect and honor. 
Jesus used it as he addresses um, her at the wedding of the Feast of Canaan in Galilee in chapter 2 of John, verse 4. And he used it also of the Samaritan woman uh, in uh, chapter 4 of John. He also used it for the woman caught in the very act of adultery in John 8.10. He was honoring Mary for her obedience to God's plan and her love demonstrated to him for 33 years. Mary, from her youth, before she she was even told of all this, as the angel came, from that point on, she knew who he was. She knew what was going to happen to an extent, at least the end result. And she bore this in her heart all along. The title identifies the breaking of the earthly relationship as mother and son to the establishing of the heavenly relationship as Lord. Jesus now becomes her Lord also. He became her Lord as she confessed him, as we'll see, but this is the end of that earthly relationship. Mary's never referred to by Jesus as his mother in any of the Gospels. Only the writers referred to her as the mother. Mary was called blessed among women by Elizabeth, if you remember, not above women. Blessed means well-spoken of. Not sinless, not a co-redemptress, as taught by the Catholic Church. Luke 142, blessed among women. You see, Mary acknowledged her own need of a Savior in her song known as the Magnificent in Luke chapter 146-47, where she cries out, My Lord and my Redeemer. To the very child that was in her womb. And so by her own admission, she was a sinner like any other. Not a perpetual virgin. There's a lot of things that people say the Bible says that the Bible doesn't say. You know, I sometimes teach some sermons and people say something I don't say. (laughs) Certainly, Mary understood that she was a woman like any other, but she counted herself blessed by God to have been chosen by her, by him. And so every woman that brings forth a child, she brings forth a brand new little sinner. Cute, but a sinner nevertheless. You see, because only uh, two adult sinners can only produce sinners. Sinners never produce saints. And so therefore, all of humanity is fallen. Therefore, all of humanity needs redemption. That's why God sent his son. In fact, The last mention of Mary we find in the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 14, as they are waiting there for the day of Pentecost and um, waiting for the Spirit to come and to birth the church, if you will. And she is one of the 120 that are there in the upper room. And by the way, they were not praying to Mary. 
they were praying to Jesus and Mary was praying to Jesus and Mary spoke in tongues. Read the record. <laughs> All right? Mary was just like you, just like me. No different. But how blessed she was, even as you are blessed when God calls you, directs you, and guides you to be used by him. And he uses you to minister the gospel to somebody, to be a comfort to somebody, to obey him. Same thing. No different. Notice the relationship of Mary was to be um, transferred to the apostle John here as a son in verse 26. Jesus was the oldest, as you know, and therefore responsible for the home since it is apparent that Joseph has already been dead for many years. We do not know what happened to him, but he's not there. Now, his brothers and sisters were not believers at this point. They did not believe on Jesus to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so even though there are family ties, Jesus understands that only believers can care the best for another person. Some of you have come to the Lord and, and being born again, accepting Christ, has caused a great rift between you and family members, as it did with me and my brother at first. Because all of a sudden now you're telling your parents or your family that you're born again, that Jesus saved you and forgave you for all your sins. And they feel offended that they raised you and now you're trying to tell them that they need to repent. From the natural perspective, it's pretty offensive, pretty insulting. The first Christians were all Jews, as you know, and the families would have a funeral for them. An Orthodox Jew today accepts Christ. Family has, considers them dead. So culture is very strong at times. And here now, Jesus is concerned about Mary. Jesus was John's cousin, therefore Mary was his aunt, and he was her nephew, if you follow the genealogy. The relationships. Jesus knew that Mary was experiencing the suffering that was prophesied by Simeon when he was presented for dedication in Luke chapter 2, verse 34 and 35. Let me read that for you. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You and I were born and we will die physically if the Lord does not come for us in the rapture. But Jesus was born to die. You and I are born and will die. He was born to die for us. There's a big difference. She must have been, again, maybe 46, 48 years old if she was 16 to 18, if, even if we push it a little bit, when she first conceived. Heartache. 
knowing this all along from a young woman, knowing this day is ahead. It's going to happen. The proclamation to Mary, woman, behold your son, was an expression of his love for her. Notice, third is the proclamation of faithfulness, the faithful love to John now. Behold your mother, verse 27. The responsibility of caring for Mary was not to just anyone, but to the disciple John. A disciple means one who is a student and a pupil, one who emulates and imitates his master's teacher. John's a disciple of Jesus Christ, just as you are and I. We are not to emulate or to follow a pastor, an elder, a movement, a denomination. We follow Jesus Christ. He's the one who saved us. He's the one we depend upon wholeheartedly. A disciple out of many who was chosen to be one of the 12 apostles and one sent out to share the good news of Jesus Christ. A disciple who would live longer than any of the other 11. He wrote probably his gospel in Revelation, so around 90, 95. The last one to be alive. In fact, he was a pastor um, of, of uh, the church of Ephesus. You had Paul, Timothy, and John. A disciple whom the Lord loved and allowed that fact to be recorded again often in his gospel. There was a special love, a special connection. A disciple who had forsaken the Lord like all the other ten when Jesus was arrested in Gethsemane. But here he is. He's repentant. He's before his Lord. He is the only disciple, the only man present at the cross. No other. A disciple who would believe the report of Mary Magdalene and run to the sepulcher to see it empty in John 20, verse 1 and 2. Eagerly. A disciple who would be the first to recognize the Lord's voice as they were all fishing in Galilee. As he says, little children, have you caught anything? That's the Lord. His ear was tuned to God, to his master. In the Old Testament, they would take the high priest and when they would anoint him, they would take some blood and put it on his right ear. That ear be tuned to the voice of God, his right thumb to do the service of God and his right big toe to walk in the ways of God. Tune to heaven. Tune to the word of God. Turn to the voice of the Savior. Notice the responsibility of caring for Mary was to be as a son, one who would honor and respect her, one who would protect her, one who would provide for her, one who would comfort her in difficult times such as the present. The responsibility was accepted, notice, from that moment on 
verse 27 there, the disciple John, it says, and from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. The passage in Mark has been interpreted as if these witnesses were looking from afar off and then moved closer to the cross. But a close, careful reading were revealed that in fact they were at the cross receiving this third saying and then moved away to view the death from afar off in Mark 15, 33 through 40, as it was too much moving away. In fact, Mark in Mark 15 tells us that it was the sixth hour, 12 o'clock. In verse 33, the first three sayings took place from 9 to 12, as you know, under the wrath of man, as he was insulted, hurled with all kinds of blasphemous things. Mark records the last four sayings that took place from noon to 3 p.m. under the wrath of God, as he became sin for us, as he made the payment of sin his own life as the wrath of God was poured out upon him that our sin might be atoned for. Mark records the words of the centurion after Jesus died. He says, truly, this was the Son of God. Quite a statement for a pagan who's used to seeing men die on crosses. In fact, Mark reveals that John took Mary that very hour away from the cross as a faithful son, not allowing her to see the suffering and agony of Jesus, the remaining mockery, and his ultimate death in verse 40. Faithful to the end. The proclamation of faithful love to John was, Behold, your mother. It was an acknowledgment of John's Faithful love. There's a poem entitled, Those We Love. It says, they say the world is round, and yet I often think it's square. So many little hurts we get from corners here and there. But there's one truth in life I've found while journeying east and west. The only folks we really wound are those we love the best. We flatter those we scarcely know. We please the fleeting guests and deal for many a thoughtless blows to those we love the best. Into the life of Charles Lamb, there came a deep attachment to a woman. But he willfully forsook marriage when he saw the need of his own family. Brother, son, and husband, he became as the guardian angel of that home, and especially of his sister Mary, who was at times mentally deranged. After she had stabbed her mother to death in one of her mad moments, Charles Lamb stripped himself for his sister Mary as Jonathan stripped himself for David, and for 38 years he watched over her with solicitude of tenderness. A friend of tells how he would sometimes see the brother and sister walking hand in hand across the field of the old asylum, both their faces bathed in tears. A sad story, 
and yet a grand story. Charles Lamb had his place in his home and it was never left empty. It means you lose sight of yourself. You deny yourself. This is unnatural. It doesn't happen naturally. It is by the work of God in our hearts as we call upon his name, as he transforms our lives, that we can lose sight of ourselves, deny ourselves, and then we will pick up our cross and follow him. And when we do that, then we are the better for it, and so is this world in many different ways. And yet God has chosen imperfect vessels like I and like you that he may receive all the praise and the glory. Incredible. This is the third saying of Jesus marked by these three things. The personal witness of the four women in John was a witness of their love. What is the witness of my love for Jesus in this life? Is it um, noticeable? Is it, um, is it obvious? Is it communicated? Is my witness faithful as theirs? When everybody's against Jesus, do I stand for him? Do I cower? Do I follow the crowd? Am I a weather vane? It just depends which way the wind is blowing. Important. The proclamation to Mary, behold your son, was an expression of the love from Jesus. Jesus brings every believer to a new family, the family of God. All you have to do is look around. If we weren't Christians, some of us wouldn't be caught in the same room together. And yet as we're born again, the family is so large. It changes our heart, changes our minds. Oh, you're still a rotten sinner, don't get me wrong. The potential is still there. <laughs> it's just that God has given you the ability to deny that, to not yield to it. And it's good that he doesn't take it away. This way we never forget who we really are and how little we deserve forgiveness in heaven and that it's all by grace. Hmm. Jesus knows that those in the family of God will care for you more than any other and better than even those who are natural by family. And then the proclamation to John, Behold your mother, was an acknowledgement of John's faithful love. Jesus will have many of us to care for those who will have nobody at times. Just walk in the church and get born again. They have no father, they have no mother, they have no family, nobody. Wow. Jesus will... Have us love them as our own through his love. Some of you have experienced this through your years of walking with God. Others of you have just beginning. Some of you may not be born again. God gives you an invitation to become part of his family. Even now, do not harden your heart, but open your heart to God. 
He loves you so much. He died for you. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for your grace and love. And Father, we just thank you for, again for your, uh, your willingness to sacrifice your son, Lord. And we pray for those that are listening, Lord, here and those over the internet, that, Lord, you would just speak to their hearts and, Lord, that you would um, reveal clearly to them how much you love them and all that you've done for them, Lord. And they will call on your name. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. God wants you to agree with him as to who you are, that you're a sinner, that you fall short of the glory of God, and that the weight of the sin is death. But then on the flip side, he wants you to know that he sent the son to die in your place. He tasted death for every man. And he made a real payment on the cross that you may call upon his name and he will forgive you of your sins and cast them as far as east as the west, buried in the deepest ocean and never mention them again, making you whiter than snow. Because every snowflake has a dirty heart. It's wrapped around a speck of dust. That's ours. That's our heart. And only God can change our hearts. No other way. And it's through the new birth, recognizing that he died and that I don't deserve heaven, but he invites me to be his bride. I've done a lot of weddings in 40-some years, and I've never seen a bride dragged up Every one of them has walked the ball on their own. Jesus will not force you to marry him. But he sure would love to invite you to be his bride. And he knows you can't wear the white gown, just as I could not wear the white gown. But he says he'll give you that gown because of what he's done. Where in the world are you going to get a deal like that? Nowhere but heaven, ladies and gentlemen. No one but him. That's why it's called Good Friday. <laughs> if this is your desire, whether you're here over the internet, this is your prayer to the Lord if you want to be born again. And he will make you a brand new creature right now, right where you sit. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.